We three kings of Orient are. Today is Epiphany. The kids have brought their gifts. Like the kings, we have the arrival of the wise ones who followed the star. They're bearing gifts. They're bowing in adoration of the baby Jesus. And for many of us with crushes in our lives, or maybe two or three or more, today's the day we get to move those kings to the manger. The kings are out in our courtyard. And the ones in my office have made their way along the bookshelf to little baby Jesus. In Latin American cultures, today is Three Kings Day. And it's a day often marked by far more celebration than even Christmas. There's gift giving, king cakes. And for our Coptic companions in Christ in the church next door, and for Orthodox Christians around the globe, today is Christmas Day. For us, the 12 days of Christmas have come to an end. And whether our cultural heritage around Epiphany be the celebration of Christmas and kings, or in my home, simply to take down the Christmas tree, ritually across Christendom, today is a day of transition. For us, we have this powerful book ending, the glorious birth of Jesus, and then the adoration of the wise ones. Shepherds drawn to a manger through the glorious light of the angel who appears before them, and now the magi following a star. We've lived through the transition of Advent and the hope of Advent into hope fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, and now the transition from such joyful Christmas celebration to the tangible reality of Christ in our world, the light in the here and now. Today's reading from the Gospel of Matthew tells the familiar, familiar, ugh, familiar <laughs> tale, <laughs> so familiar I can't say it, of the Magi's faithful response to the light of Christ and to Jesus. It's a tale of their faithful response to God's generosity and their choices to follow to give of themselves and give of their treasures to this new king. But this story also tells a tale that doesn't make its way into our celebrations. And it's a tougher tale. It's a tale of clashes between powers. A tale of the dangerousness of Christ's birth. On the one hand, we have wise men foreigners with wealth, though as an aside, there aren't actually in Scripture three wise men. They're just wise men. We don't know how many. The three of them came from the idea that there are three gifts named. And the idea of three wise men and a lot of the traditions we have around them, even the names of them, came out of the imaginations of theologians and interpreters from the third century through the Middle Ages. But back to the wise men, this clump 
of wise ones coming. What scripture says is that these are powerful foreigners and they are here versus the power of King Herod the Great. Powerful foreigners coming and asking the local king, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? We've come to pay him homage. Not you, O King Herod. We're paying that other king homage. So this very idea, a new king of the Jews, struck Herod to the core. It's a challenge to his power. In the words of the gospel, he was frightened. And Herod instantly recognizes that this king of the Jews likely refers to the Messiah. Now we're talking danger, danger to his power, a new king, a Messiah who King Herod knows bears the promise of liberating the people, bears a promise of potentially overthrowing him and removing him from power. A new king, a Messiah, sent from God, potentially inspiring and leading people into rebellion. Holy power, holy kingship. So this is a dangerous clash of kings in the offing. Herod versus Jesus. A tyrannical, brutal king, lording over all those he rules, versus a king who rules through love, who rules through serving others, who rules through liberating others, who rules by restoring human dignity to all instead of controlling and crushing people and making them serve him. So Herod calls together the Jewish priests and scholars to ask where is this Messiah to be born? And when they tell him, he sends the wise men there saying, go, search diligently for the child. And when you've found him, bring me word so I may also go and pay him homage. And after the wise ones find Jesus, and they do pay homage, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. It is so chilling how Herod claims the same words that the wise man did. I want to pay him homage. When we know Herod wants to do the opposite, we know he sees the king, little Jesus, as a threat. And we suspect this homage may be murder. Tragically, the passage after what we just read is one of the most horrific in Scripture. It's where when Herod discovers he's been betrayed by the wise ones, that they didn't come to tell him where the king of the Jews was, Herod went and, quote, killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. In this day and age, I find it impossible to see the scope of this story, to read it without thinking about the current state of our nation. I cannot read about Herod's killing of children without making the direct tie 
to the deaths of immigrant and refugee children in our nation's custody. I can't read about Herod's grip on power without thinking about our nation's fear of sharing any of our wealth, our privilege, with anyone else. And the simple fact that these wise ones are foreigners points directly at our nation's fear of foreigners. Look at the brutal and inhumane things we've done in the past couple of years alone, just in the name of protecting our power and our security and our wealth. We've ripped children from parents' arms. We've instituted laws barring entry to our land. We're expunging people. We're removing people from their homes, from hard-working people, and sending them out of our country. And I can't read Herod's twisting of sacred words of paying homage without thinking about how our sacred words, the words of Christianity, the words of faith, have been twisted to justify so many injustices. Historically, scripture being used to justify slavery, anti-Semitism, oppression of women. Scripture used even to preach to those in poverty that they should accept their poverty as a cross to bear. Today, people in power and sometimes even some of us are proclaiming faithfulness to the gospel, proclaiming allegiance to following Christ while we're living lives in opposition to the gospel. So today, at the end of Christmastide, when we're coming to the close of all this glorious celebration, we have a really sobering invitation to look at the power of God, the power of Jesus, versus the powers of this world. We have a choice, like the Magi did. Do we collude with tyrannical power? Do we obey King Herod, the King Herods of our time? Or do we come into the presence of the divine King, Jesus? Do we let ourselves be transformed by his glory? This is our choice, hoarding what we have and engaging with the world to serve others, have others serve us, Or do we engage in the world where we are serving others and we are serving the real king? So today we transition from the birth and the glorious birth of of Jesus into a time of looking at the reality of how dangerous Jesus' love is when it comes alive in the world. I mean, Jesus was born into the most unkingly circumstances. He's born into suffering. He's born into our humanity, our suffering, and his life in utter solidarity with us. He lifted up all who were oppressed, reached out to the poor, the marginalized. Jesus' life as king is a life that redeems absolutely everyone. 
And Jesus' kingship of solidarity was so dangerous that ultimately the corrupt powers of the world put him to death on the cross. But here's the great news. He triumphed. We know he triumphed. And we know he triumphs over darkness. He died in utter solidarity with us, only to be resurrected, to redeem us, to live forever. This is the good news. So today we transition from celebrating the light of Christ in the world to being transformed by the light of Christ in this world. To being transformed into living with the light and in the light of Christ. Becoming lights that proclaim his triumph in the face of danger, in the face of power, in the face of temptations towards corruption. Today we move into being lights that proclaim the triumph of his liberating power of love. So it's a transition that is difficult, but it's a transition with a really sacred invitation to ponder the dangerousness of Christmas, yet enter that dangerousness with faith that the presence of Christ, the glory of Christ, is with us always. The Archbishop of Canterbury in his Christmas sermon said that God came into the reality of the world to change it, not to give us an escape from it. God is in this suffering world. God is changing this world. And this is our invitation. How do we become change agents for Jesus? How do we orient our lives to our King? our new king, how will we pay homage? Amen.